0: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, they're talking about all he could have thrown in yesterday's game. He's like, well, then why the heck is he on the disabled list? (laughs) (laughs)
1: nice to be able to have those experiences and, and be able to replay those things over and over it.
2: Dave Steve is mad at you for ignoring him.
3: Oh, Steve's in there too? <laughs> oh.
2: And welcome once again to Artificial Turf Wars, where we take six days off after opening day. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Josh Housem. How you doing, Josh? Good. And third man in the booth, Nick Dyka. Nick, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, a pleasure to have you back, of course. Because on a, a big episode, we uh, we have a lot coming up. We thought we needed a third guy to help with the heavy lifting. We have, had, after all, had one game to consume for the whole season. <laughs> Couldn't do that's, that's that's it. Eight Still, really lots to talk about. <laughs> um. Uh, so in in that, we of course uh, are following up our incredibly inaccurate twenty-five man roster episode. But what can you do when the Blue Jays make a bunch of nonsense decisions? Uh, we will talk about <laughs> those nonsense decisions and the reasoning behind them, supposedly. Um. Then we can talk about Game One because everybody loves Game One, and we're gonna talk then. To the guy who would have introduced Game One on the television, Jamie Campbell himself will join us for a little bit of chit chat about uh, the end of last season's playoffs, and uh, and then into this season, what we can expect uh, to see at Sportsnet, and uh, then we have your questions and anything else we want to throw in there. So we begin with the roster. Now, Josh, I got the sense I'm gonna I'm gonna give the opening rant to you because I got the sense that maybe the fact that the roster did not turn out like our 25-man roster episode what miffed you. Is miffed the right word?
0: (laughs) Sure. We we can go with that one. Yeah, it it wasn't the bullpen version. It was the left-field version. So Gideon put out a piece where he had a a front office source where they talked about how they kept Ryan Goins because he had trade value and Upton didn't. I'm sorry, like... If that's the case, trade Ryan Goins. <laughs> no, I get it. We're talking about like the 25th man on the roster. It's probably not that world's biggest thing. But the team now doesn't have a left fielder who can bat against left-handed pitching. And they don't have a pinch runner who can run fast. They don't have a guy who can play good defense in the outfield for, you know, if they're putting a guy in late. It is a roster problem. And I don't really understand it.
2: So Nick, what what did you come up with when when they said goodbye to
3: uh, Melvin Upton? Well, I I guess I know kind of one of the storylines that was kind of creeping in and out in spring training was whether or not the front office actually liked Dalton Pompey. And this kind of gave me at least a little bit of hope that maybe they like him more than we thought they did. Um, But that being said, just... Upton is, of Upton and Goins, Upton is the one who's been more successful in the majors. Um, and like if, and I would have le- leaned towards keeping Upton, I think. Because the Jays do have a bunch of, we were talking about this off-air, but the Jays have a bunch of infield options in the system, too, that they signed with. John Diaz and Jake Elmore and, and John Birdie. So I think I would have, would have gone with Upton, too. Well, and- Go ahead. Oh, sorry, just
0: th- that kind of gets to the crux of it. Uh, Ross Atkins comes out and he says that uh, what Upton does, his skills are redundant. Well, they're not. He's the only guy who can pinch <laughs> run, play good defense and hit left handed pitching. Whereas Ryan Goins is completely redundant. They already have Darwin Barney and they have those guys you just named. I mean, it's not really hard to find an all glove, no hit shortstop.
2: They, they, that's what I was going to say. They're kind of a dime a dozen. and. Um... I, I am fascinated by the whole idea that somehow Melvin Upton, a a left fielder who can occasionally play center, uh, who can pinch run, who OPS is around 750 most seasons unless he's in Atlanta, has no trade value whatsoever. None. Nobody wants anything to do with him, even though he's cheap. I, I'm confused by that idea and that Ryan Goins... Does have some sort of trade value, and I'm again I'm like, he's twenty nine years old. He's never hit his weight, uh, in any sense of, of the word, and he has yet to show off any fantastic otherworldly glove work. I But pe- but some teams somewhere might really want him, they just can't quite agree on a value for him. None of that makes any sense.
0: Although now I'm wondering how big you think Ryan Coins is. <laughs>
2: Uh, hit his weight. Yeah, <laughs> he's not
0: 200 pounds. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: it, He's just, he's, he's not. I don't understand how he's an asset and Melvin Upton Jr. isn't. Just don't get it. I don't think I'm going to yeah, get an uh, answer to
0: that. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently it's the case, but it's just very confusing.
2: Yeah. I, I, I guess I forgot that time Ryan Goins hit 20 home runs.
3: <laughs> well, I will say that the strikeouts that Melvin Upton provides are definitely redundant on this in, incarnation of the Blue Jays.
0: Because <laughs> Ryan Goins is such a contact machine. Exactly. <laughs>
3: Fair enough. <laughs>
2: uh, the other decision that was made was to say goodbye to friend of the podcast, Mike Bolsinger, in the sense of placing him on waivers uh, and um, keeping Ryan to para. Um, we won't get into the Osuna DL stuff just yet. So, I mean, if you take it just as a Bolsinger versus Tepera thing, is this really a case of a guy who had a rough, rough end to his spring, who they might not know as well, versus a guy who, who, you know, finished strong, who they have more familiarity with? Josh?
0: I, I think it's partly that, but I think honestly, it's just in this case, they really thought that Tapera won the job and potentially Bolsinger lost it. Because Tapera had options and Bullsinger didn't. So if it was even close, they would have just flipped it around because it would you know, they could keep the assets. This is the seventh man in your pen. But I think that you know, by because they made the decision that they did, they probably don't see it as having been close, which is a shame. I mean, he you know, I, I like Bullsinger and I like that he came on our podcast.
2: But uh, <laughs> we like him for more than but, that though.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I actually like the idea of having him as a long man, but with be a genie stretched out i think they just saw it as more valuable to have the what ryan tapera was going to give them in short bursts than what mike bolsinger was going to give them in long ones
2: are you nodding along neck or was there something else that occurred to you
3: yeah um correct me if i'm wrong but i think tapera's stuff is a little better isn't it than than bolsinger's in terms of just like how hard he throws and oh he throws much harder just, yeah and i'm i mean they've kind of got the the high to mid 80s slop covered in in um, jp howell and and joe smith so maybe they're they're trying to do kind of different looks out of the pen and they thought maybe bolsinger fit too closely with those other guys if i'm i don't know trying to think along with them Ah, but it's possible
2: yeah you could be right but we tried to think along with them with that ryan goins thing and we got nowhere so (laughs) maybe it's a different brain trust Um, and then the sad news, Roberto Osuna is on the DL. Nick, I'll give it to you. Do you think he will be back at the first eligible date? He has, he has some sort of impingement in his, uh, cervical area of the neck. He's got neck pain. Yeah. Yeah. His neck hurts a lot.
3: (laughs) I sure hope so, Greg. Like, uh, yeah. And to go any more in detail into knowing about impingements or all that stuff. I, I can't give you anything, but I, like, if it's just minor neck pain, I hope so. Cause I mean, to go back to talking about, you know, Bullslinger versus Tapera, it's pretty obvious that the Jays can use any bull pun upgrade. They can get their hands on. And obviously Osuna is that.
2: Indeed. Um, have, have we heard anything specific other than they backdated it to April 1st? Was that just simply his last appearance in,
3: in, um, the spring. I think Atkins said he expects him to be back when the 10 days are up. I love that.
0: Yeah. So I don't, I don't think they could back data because he pitched at the end there.
3: Right. Cause they, they, they had him first game
2: in Montreal. They, they had him throw an inning, didn't they?
0: Yeah. So yeah, it'll be 10 days, but it's interesting that, you know, they're talking about all oh, he could have thrown in yesterday's game. I was like, well, then why the heck is he on the disabled list? This is is the first time we're seeing this, you know, the impact of the 10-day DL, where it's like, well, the guy's a little sore, let's throw him on the DL because we can get him back quickly. Whereas in the past, I would bet heavily that they would have kept him on the roster.
2: And maybe for the first two or three days, been real quiet about whether he was available or not,
0: Mm -hmm. until
2: it occurred to somebody that he clearly should have been available and wasn't, like, I don't know, in a tied extra inning game on the road. So yeah, exactly, that, that cat would have been out of the bag rather quickly had
3: they not put him on the DL. So in that Buck game, Showalter wouldn't have noticed anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for someone Come to on. do it.
3: Sorry, Man, I I'm sorry. A, put that on a. Why are you t- apologizing? That that is a. Uh, I can't. I I can't make any more jokes about that. That uh, we we've played that one out. I think in, the in well Blue Jays is... world, I, some wells never
2: run dry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh so about this game one, which the Jays uh rumor has it lost, which uh it look, I just looked at the standings. The Jays are in last, guys.
0: Oh god. <laughs> well, yeah. um, well lose last place in spring training and their last place in the regular season? Yep. Jeez. It's it's, it's over. Rough.
2: Um what did we like? Do we have a did we have a <laughs> moment that we liked, Josh?
0: Well, I'm gonna leave. The more notable moments to someone else because I got to stick to my brand. <laughs> <laughs> Marco Estrada was great. He's lined two runs over six innings. You know, it's a little inflated because Kevin Pilar decided just not to catch a couple of baseballs, which led to lead off doubles. But he was just exactly what we've seen for the last two seasons, and. You know, he had that great changeup. He had the great fastballs. Day throwing over ninety miles an hour. Yeah, and well, uh, he, yeah, and he got into a little thing. trouble. And sorry, I,
2: I was going to say that's a very happy thing to see him up over ninety miles an hour because that was what we were promised. Right, was that his his back impin his back problems were what was holding his velocity down last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, he didn't look like he was struggling with it at all. Which last year you could see it. I mean, in the way he moved, in the way he couldn't even bend over to pick up baseballs half the time on the ground. But yeah, it was encouraging, and the one thing I'll note specifically, he struck out Manny Machado at one point, and on the Orioles broadcast, they did a really slow zoom in, and I love seeing this because it's just something something you almost never see from pitchers. He struck him out on a changeup, and Machado swung under it. Mm. It we we often talk about the uniqueness of Estrada's fastball with its 13 inches of quote unquote rise, which is the most in baseball. But he has the same thing with his changeup. It's actually 10 inches, which is more than, I think it's like 90% of people's fastballs. Hmm. So that's why he actually gets a lot of pop ups, not just with the fastball, but with the changeup too.
2: Because it isn't that fall off the table changeup. It's
0: yeah, it's just slower.
2: <laughs> strange. Uh, did you have anything w- worth remembering about game one, Nick?
3: Um,. I noticed. I think Kendry's Morales hit the ball pretty hard a couple times, uh, kind of to dead center that or close to dead center that I thought was pretty encouraging um, because he is going to be, you know, a big part of the offense uh, this year. And so, yeah, I was pretty happy to see that, even though it it didn't bear any fruit yesterday. Um, yeah, so I'd say that was probably my my game one takeaway. Uh, so I have a takeaway and an honorable
2: mention. Um... I have, uh, Steve Pierce is batting 600, uh, because he went three for five in his first game against the Orioles, who he apparently loved so much, he accepted a demotion to the minors, uh, rather than, uh, being picked up on waivers by the Blue Jays. Isn't that how it happened?
0: Sort of. Yeah. Yeah, He uh, he had a chance to come here and he goes, he chose to go back there, but he ended up They they promised him he was going to be back in the bigs almost right away, so it wasn't really the way you just framed it, but it was kind of annoying at the time.
2: (laughs) Uh, But he he showed them yesterday, and perhaps you'll show them again. But yeah, three for five with a run scored. Um, That's a pretty awesome way to start it as a Blue Jay. I'm all for that. Uh, My honorable mention is to Joe Biagini for retiring the first five guys he faced this year, just in case you were a little bit concerned about Joe Biagini. Um, I think him going more than one inning and looking sharp that's a nice way to start off.
0: Yeah, he looked great.
2: You would think that we we won the game with all the nice things we just said.
0: Yeah, hey, I did mention that Pilar just missed two baseballs. <laughs> okay,
2: fair. Uh, Gideon is probably not going to forgive you for that if he if he's uh, if he sees you, because how can Pilar be a seven win player if he's missing baseballs?
0: <laughs> I love the one thing we didn't talk about here. Oh, the, about the uh... Orioles against the Blue Jays, and we didn't mention anything that happened with the Jose Bautista.
3: Jose wow. Bautista didn't miss any baseballs in right field <laughs> yesterday.
0: He just missed them at the plate. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: So, like, the, that's like the bizarro world, Jose Bautista, isn't it?
0: And his bizarre world Kevin Pillar, too. He took a walk. Yeah. He couldn't make catches.
2: <laughs> oh. Um, it is just one game, obviously. Bautista did do something, which uh, I think we'll bring up uh, when we're talking to Jamie again. But the catch he made is the new stat cast... Uh, measurement of catches on the the star rating scale he made a catch only made 21 percent of the time based on where he started and how quickly the ball um, was falling uh, and where it ended up uh, which makes it a five-star play uh, on opportunities to make a five-star play last year jose bautista went over for 41 oops. so oops uh, he's already in better shape
3: Yeah, maybe maybe this is the year Batista provides four wins on defense, and Kevin Pilar provides four wins on offense by walking a hundred times.
0: Okay, so we did a bold predictions column on the site. Yeah, uh, last sometime last week. If someone had done that, we <laughs> it was <just> like, <laughs> did you it's read like, okay, my? just too crazy.
2: Yeah. Well, you did you read my bold prediction? It was as bold as I dare get. Kevin wow. Pilar will walk sixty-one times. Now, why did I pick 61 times? Because that is Kevin Pillar's career walk total.
0: <laughs> My bold prediction's already gone. Was
2: it Malfin-Upton
0: related? No, sort of. I said that uh, the Tulo, Pierce, and Goins would each play 140-plus games, but radio pundits would lament the lack of Ryan Goins anyway. Well, they don't have to do that. <laughs> uh,
3: I'll say, Greg, if... if if you want to try to validate your Kevin Pillar walk prediction, the the thing that always gives me hope whenever we talk about Pillar kind of growing some plate discipline is I remember in the twenty fifteen uh, LCS he drew a walk off Wade Davis, and I remember him walking in that in that game six thinking. How did he pick now as the time <laughs> to lay off pitches? And walk, Like, and if he can do it in the league championship series against one of the nastiest relievers in baseball, how can he not do it on, like, May 5th against the middle relief slot from the Tigers?
0: Do you know what that reminds me of?
3: What? Can either of you
0: guess?
2: Rajay Davis. A player who
0: doesn't... What's that?
2: I was going to say Rajay Davis catching a ball at the wall.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. I meant a player who... Never took walks, randomly taking a walk in a completely crazy situation. Um, Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was in a no-hitter.
2: Oh, J.P. Aaron Sibia broke up a perfect game by taking a walk on a 3-2 pitch against Justin Verlander. After fouling off, like, four pitches.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Weird stuff happens. Maybe he just wasn't paying attention when they threw it.
0: Oh! But uh, the the Pillar stuff is encouraging, though. I mean, he was doing it all spring, and to see him carry it over into the first game of the season, it's nothing, it, it may, may not be definitive, but it's definitely not bad, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: He's not going to make any contact if he keeps losing the bat, too. So
0: <laughs> He's just trying to, you know, make up for the loss of Edwin.
3: Yeah. Actually, I think that that's a really good sign, as
2: dumb as it sounds. Has Kevin Pilar ever lost a bat like that before? Probably. (laughs) I don't know. Now, we call it Encarnacioning the bat because Edwin always did it. But some players do and some players don't. Kevin Pillar is a guy who I think typically has gripped the bat quite tightly. And he lost it on back-to-back pitches with two different bats, which tells me he's doing something different. I don't know if it's a good thing yet, but he is actually not doing the same old, same old thing that he's always been doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't be trying to kill people in the audience.
3: He's he's giving away bats instead of at bats this year. It's, and it's that's a, an
2: improvement right there.
3: There you go. Oh,
2: my goodness. Um, I guess the other low light would be Ezekiel Carrera, who rounded second or slid into second or I honestly I only heard it on the radio. So it sounded like he stumbled around second. Um, And very nearly highlighted the Blue Jays' outfield depth problem, not even, like, six innings in the first game. (laughs) That would have been perfect.
0: (laughs) And even even so, the depth problem was tested anyway. When, was it the ninth? Yeah, it was the top of the ninth. Leading off, pinch hitting for Zeal Carr, Darwin Barney.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, Ryan Goins had to play left field in the tenth, didn't he?
0: Yeah, uh, no, Barney went to the outfield.
2: Oh, Barney went directly to the outfield. Good times. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out when Chris Coughlin is here in two weeks.
0: Oh, yeah, we struggle with that. They signed Chris Coughlin. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Coughlin was rookie of the year in 2009. Does he hit lefties or righties? I'm so confused about what we need a guy to hit.
0: He hits right-handed pitching. Not great, but well enough. And he's a corner outfielder who can fake the infield.
2: There you go. So, uh, yeah, I, I actually do expect to see him probably by the end of April myself.
0: Yeah, minor league deal.
2: righty. we're gonna take all of those highlights, we're gonna pack them up in a box, and we are gonna go talk to Jamie Campbell of Sportsnet, and we're gonna do that right about now. And we would like to welcome back to the program Blue Jays Central's own Jamie Campbell. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Force, Jamie. Oh, it's
1: nice to be back on with you guys.
2: So, uh, a lot has gone down since last fall when we spoke. Um, (laughs) You think? (laughs) We're going to try and sum up, because there is no time to explain it all. Um, So, I I guess the first thing that we wanted to look at or or ask you about was, now that you've, you've got two... Um, two playoff experiences in the very recent history in Toronto, was there a noticeable difference with the, with the vibe in the stadium between the two?
1: I would have to answer that with an emphatic no. Um, And maybe that's because the first playoff experience we all had in 2015 was so fresh and so new to so many people that it, um, it probably contributed to the uh the celebration of the playoff run it in its entirety and we had some wonderful moments to absorb then uh, obviously uh the fifth game of the division series against Texas comes to mind immediately whereas the 2016 edition um even though it was a return to the postseason again it was returning in a wild card position and not as a division winner. So we all had to endure the nerves of sitting there and assessing and anticipating and then watching one game in which the Blue Jays could have been eliminated from it all. Luckily, they weren't. And thankfully, Buckshow Walter chose not to use his closer. So, <laughs> I mean, that kind of excitement that was generated in the building that day um, for some of us for a very short time thought maybe this will not be matched. Maybe this. Um this type of of electricity isn 't going to be matched. maybe they 'll get swept by the Texas Rangers, and lo and behold, look what the Blue Jays did to Texas once again, and it ended in such wonderful style with Rube Meadow door throwing the ball in the dirt and Donaldson scampering home and walking it off and And you know the the, the I mean I get chills just thinking about some of the moments we got to, uh, we got to experience second time around, so uh it 's one of the reasons why i 'm just so excited that the season has begun again.
0: Well, I mean, we will get back to this new season because that's more what people want to hear about because you know, they're excited just like you are. But just quickly back to that, we, when we spoke last, it was right after that wildcard game. And we talked about how, you know, given the way the team was struggling to score runs and they were going to face Darvish and Hamels. After they pummeled those two pitchers, were you sort of thinking, hey, maybe this is it, that this is gonna, they're going to roll through this depleted Cleveland rotation and this is the year?
1: I guess I would have to say that I was thinking that way. Um, At least I was hoping that (laughs) things would turn out that way. Okay. But I mean, you know, we've all been around long enough to understand exactly what a baseball season um, is and, and just how difficult it is. First of all, to get through 162 games and get into the postseason, first and foremost, making sure everybody's healthy or performing up to par, whatever it might be. And then actually being able to skirt through against a team that's done pretty well, exactly what you have done. And that has had, and that has been having a successful enough playoffs or a regular season to get in. So, um, knowing how, um, how good the Kansas city Royals had been the year before I never, ever for a second took Cleveland for granted, despite the fact that they were missing Salazar and Carrasco. Um, and and then they sort of methodically carved up the Blue Jays, uh, over the course of that series and did so with, you know, an interesting use of Andrew Miller out of the bullpen and um just a a real good, well managed type of game plan and, and and lo and behold, some very effective starting pitching, believe it or not, from guys who uh, you know, the Indians weren't relying upon uh for most of the season in their rotation. So um yeah, you know, I didn't necessarily, I'm never one to foolishly believe that you can roll onto a championship in baseball at any time, no matter how good you might be. Uh, so I wasn't uh, foolish enough to think that way. And, and unfortunately, it didn't work out for us the way we had hoped. So, you know, maybe things will change this year.
2: So last question about last season, because we all know what you were doing when Bautista uh, bat flipped uh, the year prior. What were you doing when Josh Donaldson was making a mad dash for home?
1: About the same thing. I think about the same thing that uh, that 48,000 were doing at the Rogers Centre. And, and as we now know, millions across Canada, it's, again, it's so nice to be able to have those experiences and, and be able to replay those things over and over again. I don't really know any other way of, of, reacting other than to you know foolishly jumping up and down and um and screaming at the top of my lungs and and basically uh behaving like the moron Um, (laughs) thankfully off camera thankfully only temporarily so that when I regain myself and get set to do uh any kind of a post game show the blood has has sort of flushed back out into the rest of my body and out of my head if you know what I mean so yeah. there are no telltale signs of any kind of um, biased celebration from this guy.
2: <laughs> All right. No, never change that. I, either of those things, the, the return to normal or not. There's no
1: chance I'm ever going to change. No chance.
2: <laughs> so uh, what? Uh, we, we go into the offseason. Uh, the Blue Jays make a, you know the quick move for Kendris Morales, and then the, there's a lot of time that goes by before we figure out what's happening with Jose Bautista. do do you have like a biggest surprise of the offseason for who came or who
1: went or or, you know personally I must admit I'm a little surprised that Bautista ended back here Um, and that is mostly due to the temperature of the negotiations uh, specifically during the winter meetings and I was at the winter meetings uh, near Washington D.C. and we kept a keen eye on the movement of Jay Alou. He's the man who represents Jose. And it just seemed at that moment that there was no interest on behalf of the Blue Jays in bringing Jose back and that they'd moved on from uh, even considering him in any way. And, you know, sometimes you can tell um, by the amount of time a general manager um, spends for lack of a better way of saying it, ignoring the agent, and 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 I and I saw Alou walking around the uh, the lobby of the the hotel and the convention center um, frequently, and and it almost looked like he was, you know, trying to connect with anybody that would take a good look at his client. Uh, it just felt like the Blue Jays had no interest. So. When things unfolded the way they did and they just couldn't find any kind of an alternative that seemed to fit what they were looking for in right field, they they came back to Jose. And frankly, I'm glad they did because uh, as much as he's getting older, uh, the guy truly does take great care of himself physically. And I know you can't beat the hands of time at any time, but if there's a guy who has committed himself physically to being as good as he possibly can – uh, as long as he possibly can, it is him. And, you know, we're going to see over the stretch of the next six months whether or not um, it was a worthy investment. But I believe in the guy. Um, he may have regressed somewhat defensively in the last couple of years, but uh, um, if if he can get back to being one of the great threats at the plate that uh, that we know him to be, and it was obviously a year that was interrupted in 2016, that I think it will be a great sign. I was obviously, like everybody else, also very disappointed in the way the Encarnacion um, saga turned out, simply because did any of us truly know that the Blue Jays' offer would turn out to be the very best one? Uh, I think that was a fumble on behalf of not only Edwin, but his, his representative, uh, simply because he made it very clear, not only last year during the postseason, but Uh, in the years leading up that there was only one place that he wanted to be and that was in toronto and that he enjoyed it there as much as he did and he was very sincere about it he truly loved being a member of the blue jays he was comfortable not only with the team but in the city and i was shocked that it it went so sideways and he ended up having to take less to end up in cleveland so um those were probably the two biggest surprises
0: Well, I and mean, speaking of sort of surprises, part of it was the drastic decline in Jose Bautista's defense over the last couple of years. Obviously, we saw something much different yesterday, and you know we're recording this on Tuesday with that you know that diving catch and ball to uh, to save the game in the ninth, the throw from right to to first. How optimistic are you about his prospects this year in terms of a rebound, not just from a health standpoint, but a performance one?
1: Yeah, I guess we'll have to have this conversation two months from now. Um, only because uh, the throw from right field that got, what, Chris Davis at second base? Uh, you know, Chris Davis doesn't run that quickly. So, uh, great play and and a, and a big out and important out. But it wasn't exactly Billy Hamilton running. Um, and on, on the catch in which he was able to double up the runner at first base, you know, he was playing shallow, so it's not like he had too far to go on that play. I'm not taking anything away from his ability. Um but there's something about that throw he tried to make uh against the Baltimore Orioles a few years ago uh to get uh and I forget who the player was that was he was trying to to pick off at first base. Um but it, it just seemed it's it's it was from that moment that things Seem to start getting worse for him defensively because that arm that once was so lethal isn't isn't quite as lethal as it used to be. He was never that you're quick very on kind. his feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I, but but you you know it, it you can almost pinpoint that one moment. That one moment being the point of decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've said and, oh, yeah. we've said it on our podcast several times that he
2: whatever he did yeah. he, he blew it up and it's never gone back together the right way.
1: It's never gotten better. And am I concerned about it? We all should be, right? But if he can make up for it with the bat, then maybe we'll all live to learn with any, any uh, defensive inefficiencies that he might have.
0: You know, part of the reason I was actually specifically asking about that, the, those two plays is one of the new things that's come out in the last few weeks is new stat cast metrics, calling that one a five-star catch. On the broadcast, is there any plan to try and incorporate some of those things? Sorry, not the broadcast the pregame show and the stuff that you do with Greg
1: Greg uh, a great question. Um, I don't at this point know um, we are are still I think there were some issues even in the first broadcast with pitch tracker. I mean, the one thing about introducing new technology is you can rehearse it and try and implement it before the actual games begin as much as you possibly can, but um, until it proves to you that it, it uh, it works, um, and then it's ineffective. And, and I, I have not, I've been so uh, deeply rooted in, in some of the editorial things that we're, we're trying to get ready for at the start of the season that I, I don't even know or am aware of any technological changes. So I'll have to get back to you on that one.
2: So about those those editorial pieces we saw last year we, the you know the Roberto Osuna documentary and and a few other pieces with you know sit downs with different players can you give us a little peek at maybe what's coming up this year?
1: Um, there are I think three documentaries coming uh, in short order. One that's quite revealing uh, and done by Stephen Brunt on Aaron Sanchez and his upbringing. And the, uh, the story about how, um, you know, he was conceived, um, at, at, I guess in his, in his mom's words at that time, the wrong time, simply because the relationship with her and the father, um, had come apart. Uh, and another man who ended up being, you know, the guy that Aaron calls his dad, a guy by the name of Mike Shipley, uh, stepped in and took over the role of a father and his family and and Mike and Aaron are inseparable. It's just a wonderful story about, you know, two really good people, two great parents who have raised um, just a great kid. Aaron is one of those types of kids who I can understand why he's such a stand up and and polite and well-meaning individual Um, our documentary cameras did end up getting down to hang out with Kendry's Morales for a little while, which should be interesting. I guess he's quite, uh, I haven't had too much of a chance to speak with him, but I guess he's, he's quite an intriguing person. And, um, I'm in the process of putting something together for the April 7th broadcast, uh, regarding the 40th anniversary of Doug Alts. Two home runs all those years ago, April seventh, nineteen seventy-seven, um, and really, this story is is more about that one shining moment uh, on one particular day, and a life that followed. That that sadly was very tragically ended in two thousand and four. So there's certainly a lot of stuff coming up uh, in that regard.
2: Do you uh, do you enjoy you know looking at the game that that different way and getting a chance to rather than just you know regurgitate statistics to look at the people? Who play the game?
1: I I almost prefer it. Uh, it's you know we all fell in love with this game for a reason. Um, you know, in my case, it was the men who played the game that made me love the game in the first place. The I, I guess when I first set foot in a big league stadium when I was ten, and was enveloped by the the grandness of the stadium and the colors of the uniforms and the and and the awe of the players really because I'd been collecting baseball cards for a time. And I figured if you ended up on a baseball card, you must've been pretty special. And, you know, to actually get to a a game and see people in the flesh, whether it was, you know, Carl Yastrzemski or Rod Carew or George Brett or, or Bob Baylor or Doug Alt or guys who, you know, who were part of that first team. Um, that's what captured my attention right from the beginning. And, uh, Everything else follows after that. Once you're hooked, um, you know you, you learn to appreciate the game in its entirety for every possible reason. And uh, it was always the characters, always the people that played it, um, that uh, that captured my attention. So it's one of the reasons I'm I'm so interested in the actual history of the game and the people who made it and the people who played it.
0: Well, hopefully, these uh, these features that you guys are doing—I mean, obviously, some of them are more retrospective—can help breed that same kind of interest in the next generation of Blue Jays fans.
1: Yeah, I hope so. But I also think at this point that the the success of the team is 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 going a long way in doing that. I, I don't think there's any question that one of the reasons Baseball Canada and and the minor league organizations around the country are celebrating the successes of um, huge turnouts when it comes to registration is because the Blue Jays have been on the TV the last couple of years as a winning ball club. So um, baseball, you know, we, we live in a hockey country, apparently. But everywhere I go, anybody, everybody, whoever approaches me wants to talk about baseball. And, and it's just so nice to be able to do, to do that at any time of the year and, frankly, in any province.
2: Oh, yeah. and uh, And we know it'll be your smiling face before the game if we want to check it out. Which,
1: of course, <laughs> I very,
2: encourage I everyone to do. Check out Blue Jays Central with Jamie every, pretty much every day now until
1: October, if you're lucky, right? Well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we go deep. Hopefully, uh, I, and, and look, you guys you guys know this because you, you've been paying attention to this club and this game for a long time, but it, it hasn't always been this good. You know, they're... There have been times when we've had to sit there and, and discuss why this team is fifteen games out of first place and about to call up half of Buffalo because September's arrived and they want to get a look at their prospects. So uh, I, I think now's the time to embrace the fact that this team is competitive. They're a playoff contender, they will be this year, and I expect they will be next year and hopefully every year as far as I'm concerned. I don't I don't really wanna go through, you know, those teams of of the black uniforms. Um, when uh-huh. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was Boston and New York, and everybody else had a long shot in the division, and the Blue Jays, um, you know, barely seemed to register with the fan base. Uh, I, I, I never enjoyed it, but they were, they were real years, and there were some painful years, and and I'd like to think those kind of years are behind us for quite a long while. Well.
2: However long it lasts, we will be sure to enjoy it. Uh, and uh, I, I know you're going to be sitting right there in your studio booth uh, watching from, your, from down the uh, left field line. So take it easy this season. If we don't talk to you uh, soon, uh, all the best. Guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure. I have to thank Jamie once again from uh, coming on and uh, giving his uh, his perspective from that little booth down the left field line, as I said. Um, it, always a pleasure to talk to him. It, it, it feel, I feel bad. We can't have him on more often during the season, but it seems like he has something to do every time there's a game. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, all, it's almost like he's got a job that requires him <laughs> to, to be busy in the evenings when we record. <laughs>
2: Oh, talking crazy again. Uh, anyway, I suppose we should get to the part where people ask us questions and we attempt to answer them in an intelligent fashion.
0: Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly.
3: Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question.
1: How does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please?
2: All right. Josh, would you like to get us started with a, uh, an easy one?
0: All right, easy one. We'll go. We'll go with a little personal one. This is from Dwayne Casey at Primo Pasta. Yes, we got these another raptors. one. <laughs> yeah, I love that they're they're so generous and they're also very like they share. They all share this Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite team in the AL on a personal level?
2: Personal, as mm. um, opposed
0: to professionally, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I could have a professional opinion about the worst team. I will take this one first, Nick, so you can you can you know mull it over. Um, okay. Oh wow, that's just I'm driving around the AL in my mind. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Boston. I think Boston really is my least favorite team, probably because they they've they've just the first and last thing is really kind of annoying how they, you know, managed to win the world series twice after it feels like finishing last, the last season. I'm sure it didn't actually happen that way. Um, I just, uh, Boston fans are, I know when at work, he's, he's a nice guy, but as soon as we talk about baseball, he's really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. On a personal level, it's Boston.
3: Nick, I think uh, for me, I just think they're really boring. Is the Oakland Days? Um, <laughs> it's I know the Jays have lots of rivals, and there's lots of reasons to like hate the Jays' rivals, but it's just I cannot get into watching the A's at all. Uh, they're j- just to me they're like the most boring team, and for me that makes me them the least, my least favorite. Fair
0: Tampa Bay.
3: I God, almost went. I they,
0: hate watching Rays games. It's, they're boring and they always beat the Jays and some weird crap always happens. There's never a good Blue Jays Rays game. I don't think they exist. And
2: every single one has been on that garbage turf for the past How many years is it now? <laughs> Doesn't matter where you go, many. there's garbage turf. I I do agree. It it's difficult to like the Rays. I'll give you that for sure. Um so I will ask a question from Brian. I like this one from Brian, uh, a big underscore B underscore SR. If you could be one blue Jay, who would it be? And Gibby isn't an option because really who doesn't want to be Gibby? And <laughs> I understand. Uh, so Nick,
3: if you were to trade places with a blue Jay and become him, who? I would be Troy Sulowitsky because I want to be able to throw accurately um in all the crazy ways that he's able to get get that ball to first base in any with like any kind of accuracy i know he's been on the team now for a year and a half but i'm still amazed when i see him throw from like you know submarine reliever <laughs> arm slots and is able to get it there at like 90 miles an hour like right right to the you know smoke's chest without setting his feet. this year
2: what's that without ever setting his feet
3: yeah, it's insane. I I don't understand how Tulo is able to throw so accurately so often. I'd, I'd pick him. What superpower would you like, Josh?
0: See, I can't pick Estrada because then I would <laughs> never get to watch Estrada, and that just wouldn't be fair. I'm going to go with Marcus Stroman so I can see what the world looks like from down there. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been that short since I was, like, 10. I, I don't remember.
2: Say, for those of you who have only ever seen it, uh, heard us, uh, Josh is, what are you, six foot four? Yeah, six four. Six four. There's a lot of Josh to go around, so th- he's not kidding.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> uh, I had not thought of that as an alternative, um, reason for wanting to
1: be a player. <laughs> uh...
2: I would like I would probably pick Aaron Sanchez because I would simply I, I, I've never thrown a ball anywhere near a hundred miles an hour and he makes it look really easy. Um I would I would love to know what that felt like. That would be super cool for me. Um yeah. Maybe he's the hardest guy <laughs> in the starting rotation, so there you go.
0: All right. Yeah,
2: next question.
0: All right, so here comes from Luke at Split Letters. We sort of talked about this, but just how worried should we be about Osuna? Can we just explain away the velocity drop, which he was around 93, 94 in spring training
3: because of the injury? Hmm. Luke Luke should call his doctor and ask him.
0: (laughs) But okay, let's, let's try to answer the second part of it. Like, should we just say, oh, the velocity drop is nothing because he was sore, or are you guys worried about it?
2: I'm not, really. Uh, until until someone declares that he's 100% healthy and he comes out and he's throwing 92 miles an hour, I, I don't know that I'm worried, because getting worried in advance of him coming back from what it, what they have admitted is an injury, I, I'm not going to go
0: there. Interesting for me, this made me less worried. Because I didn't know what the heck was going it. on. Yeah, and it's like, oh, he was a little hurt. Well, well, okay, well, that's that's good. It's not just like his arm is falling off. Because, so Mike's son put out this piece for Rotographs on his fatigue units, his FUs, and <laughs> and their and how they predict injury. And Osuna was right near the top of that list. So when I saw the velocity drop, it was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone put out
2: pitchers' total... Total number of games appeared in, which obviously isn't, you know, a real hard measure, of uh, before age 22, uh, in, the, like, I forget how many years it went back. Asuna was at the top of the list with 140. And the next highest pitcher was at 70 and was a starter. And it was like, okay, so he might not get uh, run out there for six innings all the time, but he does get run out there all the time. And the Blue Jays have not ever shied away from running him out there. So, you know, may- maybe he's allowed to be a little bit sore. We will move huh? to another question. Would you like Connor Moore's ranking question? We'll get, get through the, this sure. one, see. Um, at the C underscore Hound. So, Nick, I'm going to give you five players. Sorry, six players. How would you rank these players in terms of GOAT, greatest of all time, Blue Jay? Um, Halliday, Stieb, Alomar, Delgado, Bautista, and Carter.
3: All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to actually keep Halliday at the top. Uh, I think that's for me. It's a combination of the environment in which he was pitching and just kind of, I'm 31. So I kind of grew up with Halliday uh, running train on the rest of the, the American league. So I'll go him first. Then I'm going to go Alomar Batista Delgado and then Carter at the bottom um, Steve. just got steep obviously Carter has the the biggest the biggest hit in Blue Jay's history but uh in terms of just you know greatest all time who you that's that's the order I'd put them on the team in Dave Steve is mad at you for ignoring him oh Steve's in there too <laughs> oh um okay so can I go back to the fact that because I'm 31, I know him the least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, Steve is yeah. just
0: on the list somewhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll put I'll put him, from what I know of him, I'd put him, like, after Alomar, maybe, I guess. Like, in fourth. In fourth, yeah. Josh. Carter first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Only because you had to write that article and you picked him when we, we did go. Yes.
0: yes, okay. <laughs> Stand and by Ronnie? your convictions. Yes, so Joe Carter, because the reasons you just said the reasons you mentioned, but actually as the most <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest, not the best. and then Bautista, Alomar, Holiday Delgado Steve, but they're all just awesome. I mean, it's like it's yeah, really splitting hairs there
2: yeah, it, it's the old uh I, I don't want to be rude to anybody, but I got to put them in some kind of order um so I would say. Bautista, Halliday, Alomar, Steve, Delgado, Carter. Wow, we reversed for, for Mr. Carter. So he averages out in the middle, which maybe is where he really belongs.
0: <laughs> no, he probably belongs <laughs> at the bottom of that list.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Uh, you want to fire me another question?
0: Sure. Okay, so this is another one. That's a little silly, but this from Richard Hurley at the RG Hurley. Gibby was ejected eight times in 2016 and five times in 2015. What's your prediction for 2017?
3: You want that, Nick? All right. So I think that we have to kind of look at the context. And Gibby was going year to year on his contract in 2015 and 16. So I think he was on his best behavior. I think now that he's signed long term... (laughs) we're going to get a Baker's dozen and he's going to get booted 13 times in 2017. Wow.
2: I was going to go higher. I was going to say, I like I'm th- it. i thinking nine times. Uh, if only because something about the new re- replay rules will, will get stuck in his craw early and he won't realize he's uh, challenged too fast or too slow or something else. And he'll run out onto the field. And they'll have to automatically eject him. <laughs> Cause half of Gibbons ejections are times when he came back, when he really wasn't ever supposed to come back, and they had to, like, re-eject <laughs> him or suspend him for a game or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with nine. Do you, do you have a magic number in your mind, Josh?
0: I think Nick convinced me with that 13. I like that rationale. He's
2: going to total up two seasons' worth of ejections in one. I just hope the Jays aren't down that often and he can get that upset. But what do I know? All right. Uh, he we gets are gonna...
0: tossed the first.
2: We are looking at the time here, so we're we're gonna close out the uh, the questions for this week, and we will move on uh, to that do over that we do so well.
0: Oh my God! Did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do over, baby? Are you talking about a do over?
1: We believe in second chances.
2: Uh mm-hmm. huh. Where does our do-over do over come this week, Josh?
0: It's kind of funny, considering who we had as our guest, but we're going to his partner in crime, Greg Zahn. <laughs> so in the big, hour-long Blue Jay Central on opening day, at one point, Greg Zahn decided to drop the tidbit that he's hearing that sometime soon, this Roger Center could be renamed as the Sky Dome. That's not going to happen. <laughs> There's no chance. What makes it funnier... Is because BlogTO put out an April Fool's Day post where they suggested <laughs> that this
3: might happen,
0: <laughs> and I'm really betting that's where he got it from.
2: So I'm hearing means I'm reading the internet.
3: <laughs> like if somebody, somebody should tell Greg that Dearborn, Michigan, is not in the process of enacting Sharia law as well. <laughs> <laughs> some other fun tidbits he should be aware of. Yeah.
2: I feel like... It's
0: just just funny. I don't know if he actually said I'm hearing. I'm paraphrasing, but it's just funny.
2: Yeah. So uh, that would be our, I guess, our do-over for Mr. Zahn if he'd like to appear and apologize for spreading that uh, fake news, as I've heard it's called lately, uh, is is you should always check the date on the press release that you're reading. Always. Because uh, as we know, uh, Coffee Made is not releasing coffee-flavored creamer, no matter how delicious that might sound to most of us. <laughs> uh, well, that was a lighthearted do-over for what, after only one game, I think uh, was important to be a lighthearted show. Um,
3: at this point, do you, uh, Nick, have a final thought for us this week? I'm sure this is the same final thought that everybody has to some degree or another, but... I'm just excited baseball's back. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to, you know, having baseball follow me around for the next six and hopefully seven months. And yeah, I'm just really excited to, to see some games. Uh, Josh, final thought time. The guy who's probably not too excited. So this
0: just happened while we were recording. And, in, and I'd like you guys to tell me, if this happened to you, do you just like quit baseball? Steven Piscotty comes up to the plate. And he gets hit in the right arrow, right elbow by a Jake Arrieta pitch. Then he's moving to second base and he gets hit in the left arrow elbow by on a throw by Wilson Contreras. And then when he's coming home to score, he gets hit in the head by Javier Baez. <laughs> <laughs> it's like are these balls magnetic? Is he wearing a metal <laughs> helmet? I mean it's it sucks. He had to come out of the game. But I mean, what are the odds?
2: Uh very, very, very slim. Um My final thought is uh, that we should all aspire to be like Alex Rodriguez and uh, take a selfie of us thinking deeply with our fingers on our temples about who will win the World Series this year. Um, Because that is the most important question on the minds of, of really all peoples of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The rest really isn't, really isn't all that important. Rest uh, is just details yeah the rest is details life is baseball so given that uh i would have to say that uh a r- quick reminder that we do have a patreon www.patreon.com slash turf we'll get you over to the page you can see what goals we're working towards we're, we're getting very close to our our first target goal um and and uh extra improvement to the podcast there are many more on the list and we'd like your help if you can offer up, up a little something if not, always good to have you along for the ride anyway. And uh, this week's ride uh, was One sec. with... Yeah.
0: On that note, we want to thank a new patron who donated an amount, which he gets mentioned. So Tom Molly, thank you very much. We really appreciate it.
2: We do indeed. Um, we're going to run down, I think, next week, all the people who uh, may have missed their thank you. Um, in that respect, though, uh, this show is almost over, and that means that you have been... Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And our guest was Jamie Campbell uh, at SN Jamie Campbell, if I remember that correctly. And this was Artificial Turf Wars episode number 51. And we will see you next week.
0: SNET Campbell.